You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. It's a, a real honor for me to be here with you and to be connecting with you, at least in this way, at home. Uh, certainly, I so wish we could be here today to, to meet you all, to interact face-to-face, and um, uh, we, yeah, we're, we wish that was the case, but we trust that day is coming soon, and we, I'm telling you, we can't wait. We can't wait to see you and to meet you, and really looking forward to what God has in store for us. It's, um, we'll talk more maybe as, as time goes on about all that you've been through and we've been through uh, in this process. But at the end of the day, uh, we are we're really amazed at God's leading. And as God has uh, directed the leadership here, he's also been directing our hearts and leading us and answering very specific prayer. And um, so we're, we're grateful to the Lord. We're humbled. And, um, and we're also a little bit excited. Okay, so hopefully you are too. Maybe a whole lot. There's someone behind the camera doing a happy dance right now. So that's encouraging too. What I want to open up with you, uh, the Word of God, and if you have a copy of the Scriptures with you, and I trust you do at home, that you'd open to the book of Romans in chapter 1. And uh, we're going to uh, be looking at especially verses 16 and 17. And the title of my message today is, What's So Good About the Good News? What's so good about the good news? It is good news, isn't it? Well, what's so good about it? Well, that's what we want to look at uh, together as we read God's Word. And maybe if it's okay with you, it would help me to just, just to pray one more time as, uh, as we turn our attention to God's Word. Father, I ask that, that as I preach this morning, uh, Lord, you just give me a measure of self-forgetfulness and uh, help us together as your people to focus on your word. Give us ears with which to hear, tender hearts to receive. I pray that you would equip us and that you would encourage us as we open up the scriptures together. We're counting on you, Lord, to give us a word today because we need it and we want it, Lord. So I ask you for this grace now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't make it a habit of staring at people's tattoos, but this one caught my eye. I was at a baseball game a few years ago with my son back when he used to be able to do such things, and uh, there was a guy that, that came. We were sitting in our seats, and there was a guy that came down the aisle and sat right near us, and uh, right away I noticed he had a tattoo on the inside of his forearm, and it was two lines of script, and right away I could make out the first line, but uh, it took me a while before I could f- figure out what the second line said. About three or four innings later, I figured out, I was able to see what the whole thing said. And when I realized what it said, I have to tell you, I was really taken back. Here, here tattooed on this, the inside of his forearm, beautiful calligraphy, were these two lines. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to take the chance. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to take the chance. I thought, that is really something. 
and I'm, I'm sure for him it had some kind of special significance. Uh, there, there's probably surely a story behind it. Um, somebody has told me that it's actually lines from a country song after the sermon. You can Google that after the sermon. But um, uh, everybody wants to go to heaven. Nobody wants to take the chance. I read that and I thought, this is really something. Whatever the significance is of that line for him personally, here's a man, a young man, probably in his early 20s, who has permanently imprinted on his body a statement that says something about the ominous reality of death and a real measure of uncertainty about the afterlife. Then I got to think about that more, and I thought, you know, I can't think of anybody I know that has that tattooed on their body, but I do know a number of people who have that impressed on their hearts, an uncertainty about the afterlife. Uh, I think for many people, behind the smiles and laughter that we see on their faces, there are hidden, buried in there, um, fears, concerns, real anxieties about what is to come when I leave this world and pass from this life into the next one. What is on the other side of the door? There's fear there. There's, there's worry. There's uncertainty. They may not have it written on their body, but they've, they've, got it. they've got it on their hearts. A lot of people have this. A lot of people have this kind of fear. But here's the thing. As Christians, we know something, don't we? It doesn't have to be like that. You don't, you don't have to be unsure. You don't have to be fearful. You don't have to be uncertain. In fact, you can know. You can even have peace. Square in the face of death, you can even have peace. More than that, you can have hope. Hope for eternity. We know that. As Christians, we've come to, to know that we can be sure about heaven, and we don't have to guess and wonder about what is on the other side We've got this certainty about the afterlife. We've got something that people in our lives need to have, and I think quietly are crying out to have. Our siblings, our neighbors, our coworkers, our teammates, the people who intersect with us daily, they need something that we've got. They need to know something that we know. We have been entrusted, loved ones, with a soul-saving, hope-giving message. Isn't that wonderful? But, you knew there was a but. Here's the thing. Many of us have a problem. And the problem, it's very common, and it's one maybe we don't like to talk about or try to pretend not, it's not there, but it's there. Our problem is that we too often, so often, lack the courage to share it. It's a scary thing to share good news. There's the reality of spiritual warfare. Some of us are just afraid we'll mess it up, like, oh, I'll get this wrong. But I think even maybe more concerning for us is that we, for honest, lots of us worry about what are people going to say? Like, how are they going to react here? And, and I, I don't want to face opposition here. The reality is if you're going to stand for Jesus, it takes courage to stand. It takes courage. It takes strength to share good news. The question is, how do you get that? Where, where, how, where, where do you find the strength to stand? How, how, where do you get the courage to share the good news about Jesus to a world that's dying for him, that's, dying, that's in desperate need of him. Where do you find the good news? Where do you find the strength to share the good news? Well, the Apostle Paul, he knew all about how intimidating it could be 
to share the gospel. I mean, he knew all about opposition and gospel ministry. You read through the scripture, you can see in the New Testament, he was rejected, he was ridiculed, he was threatened, he was even beaten. Like he's got, he's got the nightmares that you and I envision about going to share the gospel. He, he experienced it all, all the opposition, mocked, even imprisoned. He knew all about the difficulties that can come one's way when one speaks up about Jesus. Yet, has there ever been a bolder evangelist than Paul? Has there ever been one more faithful, ever been one more courageous than Paul the Apostle? I don't think so. If you, maybe you got a name in your mind, but I don't have another name on my mind. So here's my question. How did he do it? How did he do it? How did Paul get the courage to so consistently, so boldly, and still so lovingly speak truth, speak the gospel? I think the answer for us comes at least in part in our scripture text today. In Romans chapter 1, when you read in Romans 1, you get a sense of where it is that Paul found the strength, how it is he got the courage to share the gospel with others, how he found what he needed to be able to speak good news to people who need to hear it. If you look at Romans 1, now, I said a moment ago, we're, we're going to focus on verses 16 and 17, but um, just for fun, we're going to start in verse 13, and I uh, want to read to you here, just, well, for, not for fun, for context. Verse 13, um, he, listen to what Paul says, and, and as we read, get, try and get a sense of how he feels about sharing the gospel, okay? Verse 13, I do not want you, Romans 1, verse 13, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you. You love how I found a passage with the word harvest in it. In order that I may reap uh, some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Now listen, verse 14. I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians or non-Greeks, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, that is in the gospel, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The first and main thing that I want you to see here in this text is this. The courage to share the good news comes from knowing the goodness of the news that we share. You get, you get that? So, so where, where do you find, where's the, the courage, where's the strength come from to, to stand up for Jesus, to, to share the gospel? When I know there's, there might be opposition and this may not go over well and man, we get along so good, but as soon as we bring Jesus into it, there might be awkwardness or rejection or maybe they'll get angry or call me names or I, I don't know what will happen. Where, where do I get the courage here? Well, the courage to share the good news comes from knowing the goodness of the news we share. Paul here is, is enamored. He's taken up with the, the wonder of the good news of the gospel. He, he knew that the gospel really is good news. You know, that's what gospel means, right? Gospel means, the word gospel means good 
news, then the gospel is really good news. And it's the goodness of that news in this text that so motivated Paul to share. Notice he said he felt an obligation in verse 14. Like, I, I, I've got to share this. God has been so good to me. It's, it's the best news ever. I've, I've, I've got to do this. Notice the word in verse 15, eager. So I am eager to preach the gospel. We, we might honestly ask, why are you so eager when you know it's going to be rough? Remember the prison imprisonment, the beatings, the mocking, the ridicule, and yet you're eager? Yeah, he says, I'm eager. Well, why are you so intent, Paul? Why, why are you so eager to share this, this message? Well, because he's, he's encouraged, he's encouraged, boldened the, by the goodness of the news that he shares. The, good, the courage to share the good news comes from knowing the goodness of the news that we share. That's why he says in verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. There is shaming that comes in sharing the gospel, but he's not ashamed. In other words, he's not stopped from speaking. He knows there's going to be some resistance. He knows at times there's going to be opposition, but he says, I, I don't let that hold me back. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. See, there's, there's many ways in which God will work in our lives to embolden us to testify for Jesus, uh, uh, the, the strength and working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We've got, certainly as we, as we grow in our knowledge of the reliability of God's Word, that it really is true, that emboldens us, that encourages us. When we fellowship with the saints and get around each other, we encourage each other as, and equip each other to carry out this gospel ministry. As we, as we pray, we, we pray for strength and courage and clarity as we hear testimonies of, of, uh, of those who have come to know Jesus, all these things are means of encouraging us, empowering us to share the gospel. But what Paul emphasizes in this text here is the goodness of the good news that we share. The courage to share the good news comes from knowing the goodness of the good news that we share. So that brings us to the central question then. What's so good about this good news? And Paul tells us here, I think, at least three things, three things that answer that question for us, what's so good about the good news? The first thing he highlights is there in verse 16. Notice he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is, it is the power of God. Just stop there for a second. It's the power of God. The gospel of good news, Paul gives us three reasons here. First of all, are three um, three things that make the good news so good. First of all, the gospel is good news because of what it is. What is it? He says, it's the, it's the power of God. Now, the word power there is the word from which we get our English word dynamite. Right? So we want to build a road. We want to build a highway. But, oh, man, there's, there's big boulders in the way. And there's this hill in the way. No problem. We've got dynamite. Stick that dynamite in there and everybody stand back and boom! Rocks that we couldn't lift if we all joined together and had a prayer meeting. We could move. It, it, just They blast away and they're moved. They're out of the way. Dynamite. That, that's the word there, power. It's like dynamite power, able to do what we're unable to do. That's why Paul was eager to preach the gospel. That's why he wasn't ashamed to, ashamed to share it because... He knew it was a powerful message. It's not just a message. It's power from God, power to do things. 
Um, one thing that um, those who know me well know about me is that I love books. Some people might say I have a problem. I don't agree with that. But um, nonetheless, uh, one of my favorite places to be is the bookstore. If you want to lose me for a period of time and know where to find me later, just take me to a bookstore. And uh, I love going up and down the aisles. I love going through all the sections and looking at books. And the only thing better, of course, than looking at books is smelling new books. And um, I know many of you think that's weird, but some of you know. One of the sections I like going down is the self-help section. I like to see what, what kinds of things is it that people are looking for help for in their life. And there's all kinds of, you go to a bookstore when we're allowed to, you can find, there's all kinds of interesting, fascinating topics address their strategies for success, ideas for improving yourself, how to be the best you that you can be. And, uh, and these are fine. I'm not down on these. I think, I think practical advice, uh, practical wisdom is, is helpful and useful. And I certainly would never be criticize anybody for trying to seek help for any area of their life. But here's what I want you to see this morning. It's this. The gospel is something different, something better. It's the power of God to change you, to radically affect you for eternity. He says, it's the power of God. Well, power to do what? What's the power for? Well, he says, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for what? For salvation. For salvation. It's the power of God for salvation. You see, the gospel is, is good news because of what it is, but the gospel is also good news because of what it does. And what it does is it saves people. It's a saving message. It can, it can save your soul, it can save you from a lost eternity, save you into heaven. It's a, a saving message. The gospel saves. Now, when you hear the word saves, I mean, instantly, it sort of raises the, the prospects that there's danger around, right? If I need saving, I must be in danger. Well, when you read the book of Romans, you find there is danger around. We've got significant problems as people. When you read Romans, Paul says that when you look into eternity, when you consider the afterlife, he said there is good reason to fear. He says that there's judgment for those who've sinned against God. And then, oh, by the way, he tells us everybody sinned. We've all sinned, he said, and we all face uh, judgment. We all will stand before, a, we will all stand and give an account of ourselves before a holy God. Paul says in Romans that there will be tribulation and distress for those who do evil. And then you find we all do evil. But the gospel is good news because it's, it's a saving message. It tells us something wonderful, that Jesus saves us. He died to save us from the penalty of sin. See, the gospel is good news because of what it does. What it does is it saves. It's a saving message. It saves us from the, the penalty of sin. Uh, the, the gospel message tells us that Christ served our penalty. He paid our penalty. Romans 8 and 32, he, God, gave him, Jesus, God gave Jesus up for us all. Talk about his death on the cross. Uh, the, the, we, we were facing the penalty of the wrath of God. And Jesus endured it for us. That is good news. It's like, uh, I'm a little sore about the hockey game last night and how it ended. Uh, so I'm hesitant to use a hockey illustration, but I will use one as you pray for emotional healing. 
what happens when the goalie gets the penalty in hockey? Does the goalie go to the penalty box? No. Some, somebody else goes to the box to serve the penalty for him. On an infinitely grander scale, that's the message of the gospel when it comes to us and our sin. We sinned, but Jesus paid the penalty. There is this God who made all that there is, and of all that he made, the most precious thing that he made is people, you. And he made you and me to know him and to love him and to enjoy him forever. But we haven't loved him. We haven't treated God like God. The Bible calls that sin. And sin works itself out into all kinds of ways that we're ashamed about. And it separates us from God. But the good news is that Jesus came into the world to pay the penalty for our sin, to remove the barriers so that we can be friends with God, we can be welcomed in God, we can have a home in heaven. That's why the gospel is such good news, because of what it does. It saves, it gives us this saving message. It saves us from the penalty of sin. Not only does it save us from the penalty of sin, but also when you read Romans, you see Paul talks about the fact that the gospel saves us from the power of sin. That it's got power to change us, to change our lives, sets us on a, when we believe on Jesus, when we believe the gospel, we believe on Jesus, it sets us on a new course in life. Paul talks about in Romans 6 how we now in Christ walk in newness of life. He goes to work in us, to change us, to sanctify us, as we say in church. God saves us from destructive patterns and attitudes and actions and pursuits that pull us away from God. We've heard a testimony this morning, haven't we, about the fact that the gospel saves us from the power of sin. And then one day, saves us from the, from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, and then one day, we'll see that it also is going to save us from the presence of sin. <laughs> one day, wonder of wonders, we will be away from our own sinful flesh from the sinful world in, in the presence of God where we will never sin again nor face the temptation to sin again. We will be free, free from the power of sin. Imagine just for a moment, imagine even five minutes of no pull, no tug on your heart away from God's good will for you, but instead to be wholly, entirely rendered unto him in holiness and Love and delight and joy, unadulterated. Imagine. Someday you won't have to imagine, loved one. In Christ, it will be your every day through eternity. This is what's so good about the good news. Because of what it is, it's the power of God. And because of what it does is it saves us. Saves us from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin. One day, thank you, Lord, from the presence of sin. This is why Paul was so geeked up about sharing the gospel. He was encouraged by the goodness of the good news that we share. So the gospel is good news because of what it is, because of what it does. And one more thing. Notice verse 17. Still talking about the gospel. He says, for in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. The great reformer Martin Luther used to hate this verse. 
He hated it because when he read it, it landed on him not as good news, but as bad news. Why was it bad news to him? Because when he read about the righteousness of God being revealed, he understood it to mean the righteousness of God in terms of God's character, like an attribute of God, that God is righteous, that God is holy. You say, well, why did that get him all torn up? Well, it got him torn up because he couldn't figure out how that was good news. Because the reminder of the holiness of God just reminded him of his own sinfulness. It's like, oh, great, we're talking about the righteousness of God. It's just a reminder to me that I'm unrighteous. I, I, I'm not worthy to stand before him. And, and he struggled with this verse. Like I said, he used to hate this verse and wondered, how is this, how is this good news? He hated this verse until, until he realized what Paul actually meant. You see, Paul here in this verse, I don't think, is talking about the righteousness of God as an attribute of God. Rather, here in verse 17, when you read about the righteousness of God in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. The righteousness of God that's revealed here is not God as being righteous, but God's gift of righteousness to repentant sinners. You see? It's a gift of of righteousness. And so this is the third thing that I want to share with you here about the gospel. The gospel is good news because of what it, what was it again? Because of what it is, because of what it does. I knew that. I'm just checking, making sure. Because it is what it does. And thirdly, the gospel is good news because of what it reveals. And what does it reveal? Paul says it reveals something. It reveals to us the righteousness of God as a gift. Here's the thing, friends. The the one thing that God demands from you, the one thing that he demands of you is something that you and I don't have, righteousness. In fact, Paul Paul lays it out uh, a couple chapters later in Romans, and he says, none are righteous. None. The one thing he demands from me is righteousness. Now you say, well, hey, hold on a minute, hold on a minute. I mean, you may be a wicked person. We don't even know you. For all you know, you could be a terrible, wicked, evil person who's totally fooled the leadership of this church and calling you to be senior pastor. Wouldn't be the first time it's happened. I wonder if it's true. Well, that would be a strange way to meet. (laughs) But you're right about one thing. I am a sinner. But you say, well, hang on a minute. Okay, we're all sinners, but I'm not that bad of a person, really. I mean, really. I mean, there's sinners and then there's sinners. And I'm a sinner. I try hard. I work hard. I care for my family. I try to be honest. Is that, not, is that nothing? Well, let me put it to you this way. Back when I was in elementary school, I thought for a brief moment of time that I had discovered my true calling in life. And that was to be a high jumper. Our teacher got us out into the parking lot of the school and put up these, these two posts, and between there's this bamboo rod, and then the great big giant foam crash pad. How many of you ever had something like that in, in school? All right, all right. So, and what you do, they taught us some techniques. We were taught two techniques at the time, way back when. It was, uh, you could either run up to the bar and do a scissor step, or you could run up to the bar and do what my teacher called the western roll where basically you run up to it, you take your outside leg, and you throw it in the air, and you kind of let the laws of physics take over from there. Well, that seemed more simple to me, so I thought that will be my technique. 
Now, I'm not a very confident person in general, certainly not terribly confident when it comes to athletics, so I thought, this is going to take a chance, and you're kind of quietly hoping you just don't make a fool of yourself, really, in front of all your classmates. So it was my turn to go, and heart pounding and palm sweating, much like it was this morning, coming to meet a whole bunch of new people, and here I go, running toward the bar, and I go all out, I take my outside leg, western roll, western roll, throw my leg in the air, my body up through the air, I hurtle through the air, close my eyes, and next thing I know, I crash onto the pad. I look, and the bar stood. And then I thought, this is awesome. I did it. But that was just once. I mean, anybody can get lucky once. So go back and try it again. I did. I got in line. It got to be my time again. I got, I got this tech. I got some experience now. And so I went at it, and I ran toward that bar, same thing, same technique as last time, only this time a little bolder, a little braver. I threw my outside leg in the air, my body through the air, and down on the pad, I opened my eyes and looked, and the bar stood. Yes! I am a high jumper. I'm going to the track meet this year. I can see it now. I'll Canada, gold medal, national anthem. And then my teacher did something that altered my future forever. He raised the bar. No problem. I know what I'm doing. I'm experienced. Get back in line. I'm going to have to do this really hard this time. So I run with an extra pace to my step. And I get close to the bar and I threw my leg, threw my leg in the air. And my body lifted up off the ground and smashed straight through the bar and onto the pad. And I had to pick a new calling in life. (laughs) Now, what's the point? The point is this. As long as the bar of righteousness is where you and I set it, we'll clear it every time. But the reality is, is that's not the bar. God is the bar. And he's holy. And Paul says we all fall short of the glory of God. So I'm sure you're a good person. You're probably nicer than me. But it doesn't make you righteous. The one thing that you and I are required to have is the one thing we lack. Righteousness. But that's what's so good about the good news. Because in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, not the fact that God is righteous, and that is a glorious truth. But in the gospel, what's revealed is God's gift of righteousness, the righteousness of Christ that's applied to the account of sinners so that even though I'm not righteous, and, and, and God knows that, and I know that, we all know that, we can see that, even though that's the case, that we, uh, we are unrighteous, even though that's true, God gives us the righteousness of Jesus, he imputes it to our account, counts it to us, so that we are counted righteous in his sight. And we can stand before a holy God. And that's why the gospel is such good news, because of what it reveals. Though I am unrighteous, he counts me righteous in Jesus. And wonderfully, when you think about it, I mean, in all the ways that we failed, Jesus never failed. We have not loved God perfectly, but Jesus did. We haven't loved each other selflessly, but Jesus did, and he does. We haven't achieved God's standard of holiness, but Jesus did. 
I wonder if wonders, when you think on this, you realize, you know, I, I don't have to, to, to labor to get God to like me. I, I don't have to fear that my next failure is somehow going to blow this thing for me. I stand before a righteous God, not in my own righteousness, but in the righteousness he gives me in Christ. And that, that, loved ones, is incredibly good news. And that is news that people desperately need to hear. So you see why Paul would say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel? Not because he wouldn't face shaming and opposition. He did, and he would. But because even though he would face tremendous opposition and backlash and controversy and belittling and demeaning and abuse in prison, even though he faced all those things, even though you and I may face some of those things, he still counted it something that he was eager to do because he knew how good the good news really was. So the courage to share the good news comes from knowing the goodness of the good news that we share. What's so good about the good news? Well, the gospel is good news because of what it is. It's what? It's the power of God, the handful of people here. Come on, you can help me. I, got no, I, can't, I can't hear them. <laughs> okay, so, all right, so the gospel is good news because of what it is, because of what it does because of what it reveals. What is it? It is the power of God. What does it do? It saves us. It saves us from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, and one day from the presence of sin. And the gospel is good news because of what it reveals. It reveals to us the righteousness of God, righteousness as a gift for repentant sinners. And that's where the courage comes from. And think about how good it is, how good this good news really is. Now, I want to challenge my brothers and sisters in Christ this morning to cultivate an eagerness to share this good news. Cultivate an eagerness to share this good news. You say, what do you mean by cultivate? I mean, like, work up, build up an eagerness to share the good news. You say, well, how, how do you do that? Well, I, I think you just look at what, what did Paul do? Paul reflected on the goodness of the news that he shared, right? He, he, he told them here, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greeks, for everybody. For in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Cultivate an eagerness to share the gospel. We do this, I think, in part by meditating on it, by thinking about it. Thinking it through in your mind, keeping it on your mind, reminding yourself about the goodness of the good news. Of course, that's one of the reasons why worship is so important, isn't it? Because it's an occasion in which not only do we reflect back to God something of the glories we see in Him and the joys that we find in Jesus, but we also reflect back to Him the wonders of the gospel message of what Christ has done for us and who He is and who we are in Him that we've come to understand because of this good news. Worship is so important. I think also, too, um, uh, thinking it over in your mind, working it over in your mind, reminding yourself, preaching the gospel to yourself. I think hearing testimonies, like, brother, like you've shared with us this morning, I mean, hearing testimonies like that gets me excited about the gospel because it reminds me that this is a powerful message. There's the power of God. There, there's the, the power of God to save, revealing the righteousness of God, uh, hearing testimonies. You, you, a great thing you can do is ask each other, remind me again how it is you got saved. 
How, how is it again, right? And don't be, you say, well, I don't know, maybe I've asked them already. Just say, remind me again. I love to hear the story. You know what else I like to do? I like to talk to evangelists. You know who the evangelists are, right? The people who are pretty good at sharing the gospel and do it often. I love talking to them. You know why? Because it so encourages me. And it actually kind of emboldens me. Like there's people that when, they, when I hear about them sharing the gospel and, and hear about how God worked through different means. It was a tract and then there was a conversation and then it went to a men's conference. And I, I love hearing this because you know what it does to me? It gets me excited and it makes me think, I want in on that. Because when you share the gospel, you get a front row seat to seeing God do awesome things in people's lives. So, so you hear people's testimonies, talk to evangelists, and, and these things, this cultivates in us an eagerness to share the good news. So, so meditate on the gospel, think on it, Listen, hear testimonies, worship, actively seek opportunities too. Actively seek opportunities and ways to share the gospel. You say, how do I seek opportunities? Well, one, you pray for it. God, give me, give me this week a divine appointment. You can pray that prayer. Why don't we all pray that? Lord, give us this week a divine appointment. A divine appointment. A meeting that God sets up for us. Maybe we didn't see it coming. But an open door to share the gospel. Look for those opportunities. Look for them. As you're talking to people, look, look for ways to, and I know it's really hard to talk about what's going on with the Leafs right now and, and switching from that over to eternal things. But look for those opportunities. All right, so somebody says, well, what did you do this week? And well, you know, I don't know, we swam in the pool, went for a walk and uh, watched church online. And maybe that will just fall dead on the, on the floor, but maybe somebody will say, oh, you, oh you, you, you go to church, do you? That, I do go to church. Do you have a church background? And just see where the Lord leads with that. Look for the opportunity. Pray for them. Look for them. And ask God, ask God to give to you an eagerness like we see in Paul here. When you do this, when you take steps like this, you'll be resisting the temptation that I think many of us, most of us, if not all of us, feel the temptation to be silent. We'll push back against being controlled by the shaming that comes our way. And we'll experience something of the power of God, not only already at work in us, but also working through us, as we share with others. Loved ones, cultivate an eagerness to share the good news, because it is incredibly good news. But of course, before you cultivate an eagerness to share the good news, you must believe that good news yourself. It would be an utter tragedy if you endured this sermon and heard me talking about the goodness of the good news, but didn't yourself believe it? Didn't yourself believe on Jesus? Didn't yourself come to know that you have eternal life in him? Remember the guy at the ballpark? Everybody wants to go to heaven but nobody wants to take the chance. Friend, I want you to know today that it doesn't have to be like that. It it's, doesn't need to be an issue of doubt. It certainly isn't a matter of chance. But in fact, you can know that you have eternal life when you look away from yourself and trust in Jesus. In fact, really, that truth is clear if you just look one more time at this text. 
Like, how, how do I take this and make this mine? How can I be sure? I don't want to leave it to chance. How can I be sure about heaven and eternal life? How can I do that? Well, look again, just one more time through our, our passage. Verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Believes. To the Jew first and also the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. How do I take this and make this mine? I look away from myself to Jesus. I believe on him. I bank on him. And I think a great way to express that faith is just to speak it in prayer to him. In fact, even, why, don't we, why don't we just pray right now? I'm going to pray and someone else is going to come and, and take us the rest of the way. But just don't pack up. Just where we are right now, let's just, let's just bow and pray. Lord, we can see that the one thing you demand from us, this righteousness, is something that we don't have. But we can see here together the great goodness of the good news. And Lord, I'm, I'm mindful of maybe somebody joining with us today who's hearing what we're talking about and they're saying, you know, I want that. I need that Jesus. I, I want what he's talking about. Maybe if, if that's you this morning, maybe just, just pray. Pray a prayer like this. Lord Jesus, I want what you have to offer. I do believe that you died to pay the penalty for my sin. And I do believe that you alone have got the power to free me from the power of sin. And Lord, I ask you this morning, I simply ask you, trusting you to do it, that you'd save me and bring me today into a saving relationship with you forever. And brothers and sisters in Christ, let's seek the Lord together. Lord, today we again ask that you would refresh, refresh our wonder at your grace. Renew our commitment to doing the work of evangelists. To be on mission in this world, Lord, as you've called us to be. Lord, help us to remember, even today, Lord, the goodness of the good news. And we worship you. We worship you, a God so kind to people like us. Thank you, Jesus.